Hello, honey badgers. Welcome to episode 19 of The Modern Recordist, the podcast where we explore how to design and live your life as an extraordinary artistic visionary, discussing inspiring and creative ideas around art that creates an impact in the world. On this podcast, we sit down with musicians, songwriters, artists, producers, and all manner of artistic visionaries to learn exactly what we have to do and who we have to be in order to create meaning and live out our artistic visions. So, welcome to episode 19 of The Modern Recordist. This is another 90-minute episode with an in-studio guest, live in-studio guest, and this is the first edition of The Modern Recordist where we are remote. We are actually not at our normal studio. We are at Left Plus Right Studios. I got that right, didn't I? You did. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, with my uh, new friend, Graham Wax. So thanks for being here, man. Yeah, man. And thanks, thanks for hosting the Modern Recorders this time around, man. Glad it worked out. Yeah, thanks for is, having me. Yeah, this is awesome. So um, yeah, we're, uh, we're excited about this episode. Graham and I are going to sit down for a little bit and... Uh, and um, have some fun, and uh, hopefully it's you guys have some fun too, which I'm sure you will. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it and play in with a song. Uh, it's a project that uh, Graham's worked on, and we'll, uh, we'll discuss a little bit after we play it. So let's hit it.
killer that's a killer track right on and uh yeah so here we are episode 19 of the modern recordist with graham wax out of uh coming out of out of left plus right studio nashville tennessee super cool vibey spot and i failed to uh i failed to mention it's it's barley right it is barley barley the studio dog yeah security um, and the, the studio manager and head yeah. of security and he's even sitting in with us today so uh, fantastic, man! That was a killer track. Thank so you. let's talk about that. What was yeah. the? Uh, what was that? Who was it? What was the project? That's a band uh, called Pray to Lights. Okay, they're based out of L.A. What is the? What's the band? Pray to Lights. Okay. Yeah, they're from L.A. Um, and they were here for three months last year, killer. working on the record. Killer. Um, so that's the single off of it. It came out in June. Um, yeah, it's been doing well. They just uh, FIFA 16 just came out, I think, earlier this week, and that was one of the main songs in that. Okay. It's a bit, right it's a, on. They've been doing really well on the placement side of things awesome a lot of yeah lot of, very cool a lot of pretty cool commercials and stuff and the project was awesome they were here for three months writing and recording we did uh drums and piano over at grand victor sound which okay is fold studio and was formerly rca studio a uh-huh uh and then pretty much all the other tracking was done here okay there's a little gospel choir on that song. Yeah. Did that in the live room here and cool. Had some fun with it. Yeah, that sounds like a uh, a killer fun project, man. Yeah. yeah. A lot of cool energy to it and um yeah, fun stuff. So, um how'd you uh how'd you get hooked up with that project? What's the kind of the story there in, in terms of Yeah, that's actually it's it's a uh, one of the funnier stories. Oh yeah. I uh That's good. I'm, I'm like, a drummer. Like yeah, I'm a drummer. Stories. And so when I first moved to Nashville, I was touring, playing for an artist, and now don't play a whole lot anymore, but I uh, I guess used to still do, to whatever extent, uh, uh, in- endorsed Masters of Maple, which is a smaller custom like boutique mm-hmm. drum company out of mm-hmm. Southern California, and their drummer plays Masters of Maple stuff. Okay. So I got a call from the guy who makes them Okay. back last year, I think in May, and he's like, hey, I got this band looking for a studio in Nashville. They're playing Bonnaroo and a couple other festivals. And they just like they need a place to work while they're out on that side okay. of the country. All right. Um. So it worked out. They they booked the studio for two weeks originally, and I was gone. I was out of town the whole two weeks. Mm-hmm. So like they were just here writing. I was gone. Uh, wasn't really gonna have any involvement in it. Mm-hmm. And it came from like one of my friends who I met back in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, and talked to once or twice a year. Okay. Um. And so it's like all just like very all over the place. And then I got the day I was flying back to Nashville, I got a call from their manager, and he's like, "Hey, if we get more money from the label, can they stay for another month?" I was like, cool. yeah, "Yeah, definitely." <laughs> Let me uh, think about that for a second. Um, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely okay. Yeah, yeah. And so that ended up happening. That all got approved. Uh, they hung out for another month. I was here for that month. Um, 
And so that would have been six weeks. So then they ended up staying another six weeks. I okay. Think. So they were they ended up being here for like three months. Okay. Um, and through us just kind of hanging out and getting to know one another, I ended up engineering the record then that once cool. like stuff was written. Right. Um. So originally when they showed up here, they were it was kind of like they were doing some writing. They were and writing sort of like, and like I mean they do you know so much of that production's in the box of like uh-huh. programming synths yeah. and yeah. There's real drums and real bass and guitars and piano and there's program drums and bass and piano and guitars mm-hmm. and all or maybe not guitars but all that stuff like mm-hmm. layered in there mm-hmm. um so a lot of it's done on the computer and they were writing and kind of you know as you go with that sort of project where it's more of an electronic thing you can write and pretty much produce your track and get it 80 90 percent of the way there yeah before you really need to set up a mic um so they were doing a lot of that stuff and then so for the first two weeks that's that's what was going on okay you know and they they're really self sufficient. They they can track stuff on their own. Right. They all know what they're doing. Right. Right. Um, so yeah. So for there's the first two weeks was that, and then they were gonna continue writing and recording as they went, and just kind of all snowballed and grew, and then yeah. turned into this big three month project. So it that, ended up being a, just a full on a full on record then. Or? Yeah. So it was okay. always supposed to be. Okay. When they they uh they're signed to Astroworks, which is part of Capital. Yeah. Um, and when they signed their deal, they did an EP and it was four songs. Uh, and after that came out, I think the label wanted to then release a full length. Um, so there was four songs from the EP and then we added six more okay. to create the full length album. Cool. And that's what came out in June. So that and came so out. I was working just on. Just like June is Yeah, like, just like in okay. a couple, few okay. months ago. Okay. So what I was working on was like the additional six songs. For, okay. to, to create the full length album. Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, man. Yeah, just it's like, awesome. Yeah, living, hanging with the band and stuff. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Just drove up to Cleveland not too long ago to see them. They were oh yeah, sh- yeah, they were on okay. tour with a uh, AWOL Nation. Okay, the family of the year. Cool. Yeah, that's fun. Um, I haven't been to Cleveland actually. I've been spending. Or, sorry, it wasn't Cleveland. It was Cincinnati. Okay, Cincinnati's a cool spot, man. Much I'm shorter like... drive. Yeah, it's much shorter drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a cool town. That's a cool town. I I uh, I've been driving through there quite a bit, um, back and forth because I've been going to Columbus a lot. Oh yeah. Um, this year, but um, so I haven't. But I have spent time in Cincinnati. It's just not lately. But I've been I've been driving through a lot, and it's a fun town, man. I'd yeah, like it was to, cool. We had a yeah. good time. Yeah, I like that spot, man. Really cool venue. That's cool, man. So right on. Yeah, that's a fun, um, sounds like a fun project. Yeah. B- Barley, he has something to say about it, I think. He does, what yeah. What was his experience of the record? I think uh, I think he misses them. <laughs> <laughs> he spent a lot of time on the couch with those guys. Yeah, and apparently so, and he likes to lick the couch. He does, yeah. What's the deal with Barley and licking the couch? I don't know. He's always done it. Yeah. It's kind of funny. his thing. That's hilarious. He doesn't drool. Yeah. So he has to really? leave his mark somehow, yeah. like some other way. <laughs> Somebody dropped something juicy down on the couch years ago, and he's still trying to get it yeah. out, I think. Awesome, man. So, um, yeah, fun projects. Um, that seems like it kept you busy a while. So, uh, yeah. yeah, cool, man. So how about, um, how about let's talk about how you sort of got into where you are now. You mentioned you were a drummer. Sure, yeah. Drumming. And- Drumming was definitely kind of the way in. Okay. Uh, playing playing in bands in high school and, and doing that whole thing that most people do when they're younger. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I guess maybe the side of that that most people don't do is I spent a lot of time in studios with okay. various bands that I was in. Uh, was 
was pretty lucky and like spent some time in some really nice places, ended up doing some session work. Cool. Kind of on that front. And so just through being in studios playing drums and stuff, got really into and excited cool. about the recording side yeah. of things. It was like bought a little M box when I was sixteen or yeah. whatever and didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Uh had a little Yamaha mixer and an M box and was like tracking drums through the Yamaha mixer to a stereo, you know, just the two inputs on the M box and yeah, that's awesome. Kinda, so you were the guy in the like, so you, like hanging out in bands, playing in bands and stuff, and then you were the guy who was like, dude, I kind of like I, let me do all the recording, like and just like getting all the gear and kind of just like yeah, playing kind around of. With stuff. I, uh, yeah, I was. I had a little setup in my garage. Yeah, you know, good old garage setup. I it, it, I didn't do like I wasn't the guy who was like, oh, I'm in this band, let me record our album yeah it was like we were always luckily going to other studios with people who actually knew what they were doing Uh yeah um but i would sit there and like track demos or like whatever or just mess around recording drums um and do things like for my friends nothing like super serious it was uh i guess i was lucky to be exposed to like more of a actual studio kind of environment Mm -hmm. pretty early on Mm -hmm. so i was like i not doing that yeah. Uh, not that I didn't want to. It was just like, we should go here. Yeah. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Of like, so where, and where was it? Where are you from again? I'm from Orange County, California. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So, so California. Yeah. yeah. So we met through Ben, who has been a guest on this podcast. Man, I, I should have looked up and so I could remember exactly which episode he was, but he was an earlier episode. Anyway, Ben Bishop, who uh, you guys can uh, check out an earlier episode of Ben. But uh, so Graham and I met through him. <laughs> barley is uh barley's being a little bit rowdy but um in any case so yeah so um so yeah you got you and i um i guess was that last week that we met or yeah, two, a couple of last, weeks ago or something uh, last week so yeah so i remember we, we were sitting around i'm chatting about that and you said yeah orange county so all that was going on uh, kind of around southern california area yeah. different bands and stuff like that and just jumping in that's a good that's not a bad place <clears> to be like it's definitely A-list studios in Southern California. Yeah, there's some good know. ones. I mean, I wasn't like going up to LA. Yeah, and and you know tracking any of the the bigger ones up yeah. there, but some pretty decent places. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, man. So yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like I I kind of I have a similar I have a similar experience like growing up, and I grew up here in town, but um, messing around like you know kind of always messing around with recording gear and stuff but playing in bands a little bit and um i've told this story on the podcast before but you know my little sort of entry point to it was like me and the guy this guy that i used to like the first band ever had and we would steal his mom's dictation machine this is like they didn't guess have pro tools really if it it wasn't really anything that was like accessible, you know? Yeah. And so you could have like that, I guess, you know, there was those like four track Tascam tape recorders, you know? Um, but we just got, we didn't even have that. We just had like this little, his mom was like a lawyer. So like we had this dictation machine and then we would have like pots and pans from the kitchen and buckets and stuff that we'd use for drums. And we would set those up and then like put a guitar amp next to it and then put the dictation machine in the middle and like jam that and then take that tape and put it in the boombox and crank the boombox up as loud as you could. Put another di- tape in the dictation machine. Yeah. And that's how we do our overdubs. Yeah, it was fun, man. That's how we did ours. Yeah, but, that sounds awesome. Yeah. 
the Pro was, Tools thing was too easy. Yeah, I know. When, when you put yeah. it like that, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, my life was my life was easy. I started on Pro Tools seven. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. The 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 most challenging part about it was I was on this like Dell Inspiron little uh-huh. laptop. That was, I guess, probably for the time it wasn't a complete piece of junk, but like, yeah. it was pretty terrible. Yeah. Came with a 30 gig hard drive. I appreciate you. I, uh, I appreciate you keeping yourself from swearing there, yeah, by the way. Was, hey, thank I'm you. I'm working on I, it. I could tell that was difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was so this like Dell laptop that came with 30 gig hard drive, maybe half a gig of RAM. I might have upgraded to half a gig uh-huh. of RAM. And it was just so painful trying yeah. to like print any sort yeah. of mix to get it out of Pro yeah. Tools. Get a lot of like um, buffer or underrun oh, or whatever. Every, any yeah, yeah. buffer or like error message you've ever seen yeah. these days was so much worse. Yeah. So And that's with a session with like four tracks. Right. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't like wasn't like I was pumping out like forty eight track sessions sure. and be like, I really wish I could get this out of Pro Tools. Right. Like, I got like three things in here. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like smoke coming out of the back <clears throat> of the computer yeah. meanwhile. Or you'd get like you just have like ten seconds left at the song and just be like Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. yeah. And then uh but you know, you just <clears throat> I just usually go back and see. I record. I like to, if possible, I like to record on like a separate machine. Yeah, that's kind of like you know a luxury that I've been able to sort of um, step into. You know, not too long ago. Before that, I mean, you know, other than that, though, I like to just kind of, even if I don't have a separate machine, I like to go out of Pro Tools because I like to get sort of some analog conversion through some analog gear and back in. There's this guy. His name's I don't know. He's a he's a he's a mix engineer out of L.A. Alan Farmello, and it was like, you know, I was working with a producer a lot, Jakir King, um, a few years back, and he's kind of the dude who uh, was sort of him and like people like Vance Powell. You know, they were like these analog digital hybrid yeah. mix guys that really had a really intentional sort of like well thought out plan about that, you know? And I was doing some records with Jakir for a while and he was kind of mentoring me a few years back. And, um, and, and so he was always doing like the outboard gear thing, you know, like he mm-hmm. would, he would, um, do a lot of hardware inserts on pro tools, go out to analog outboard gear and stuff. So there's a lot of digital analog conversion back and forth. And I was always kind of like, I don't know, man, I don't know what I think about that, you know, because you're always getting that sort of generational loss, and there's a lot of there's a lot of dogma and philosophy around that yeah. that you can talk about forever, right? I mean, it's like so many different opinions. Yeah, there's Some people it's, like conversions yeah. the worst thing you can do. Yeah, other people are like exactly, you know, and it comes down it. to like, like a is it worth it to get the other piece of gear, or is it just better than not? Or maybe you just really like your converters. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, it does. It comes down to sort of like, what's your philosophy kind of, you know? And and so, anyway, I was never sure where I landed until I came across this really long blog post by this guy, Alan Formello, that somehow or another we got hooked up on Twitter years back and I clicked through a link and he has this really long blog post called something about like Sonic Varnish or something. And it's a really long blog post, but it was really well thought out. And I was, and, and, it, and I was like, that's it. It, it for me put the, to rest this debate of like all the conversion. I'm like, I want the generational loss. Yeah. I, it, it, he explained it in a way that was like, yeah, I do like it, you know? So now I've, I've gone, jumped on board with that whole idea. And I, anytime, I, as much as possible, I like to go out of the computer, <clears throat> go through 
some kind of analog conversion with some gear and go back, whether it be in like, you know, another computer or something, but even still like I'll uh, go back into the, into the computer on like a, on a track and like record it real time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like to do that. And that way it's like, if you have a, some kind of buffer thing going on, um, you can just, I mean, you know, I, maybe I'm telling on myself a little bit, but like, you know, if there's a problem, sometimes I'll punch in on that two track or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, oh. you know, but and just sort of splice stuff together or whatever. I do that all the time. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, if no I, if deal. I can't hear it, nobody else is yeah, going to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. If some mastering engineer wants to yell at me, cause they, they, they wouldn't know, but yeah, if they tell you they right. do, it's like, totally. I've, if it didn't work, I wouldn't do it. Right. And back in the day of like, you know, like going to tape, people splice together different mixes all the time or yeah. like, you know, mastering dudes will splice stuff together. That's a good segue to uh, speaking of like mixing when you're in mixing. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you, uh, and I want to circle back around to the conversation we were just having. So put a pin sure. in that, this okay. idea of, of analog digital conversion. Yeah. But when you're printing mixes, do you typically print like a lot of different versions and then like, you know, give mastering engineer a lot of options and stuff like that? Or, you know, do you, I don't. Okay. Um, if somebody asks for something, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. But I don't just offer up sure. five different versions sure. of something. Sure. Sure. Um, and normally I don't get asked for them. Yeah. A, a whole lot. Right. If, you know, if we go through and like do different recalls and stuff, but I would, you know, normally when I'm mixing it, like that's how I want it. Right. So you it, do, so you'll do like your master version. Boom. That's yeah. good to go. Yeah. There's that. I mean, that like TV film print and yeah. So that's, the, so you basically, you, you do, do different prints. You do different yeah. prints. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't sound like a vocal up and a vocal down okay. and a vocal up more and a vocal down right. less. And yeah. 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 Like that's three tenths of a DB or if somebody's like, like yeah. Hey, I think the vocal is too loud. Then I turn the vocal down, but like when I'm sending off stuff off, it's like, here's the mix. What do you think? You know? Yeah. Um, and some, some people want more options than others, but it's, I don't really see a reason to do it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's sure. like, that's like, there's not a whole lot. Like for me, it's like, that's a pretty simple answer. Cause it's sure. just, yeah, that's what it, it is. is. It is pretty, there's not really much um, to unpack than that. Yeah. It is an interesting thing, though. I think it. Ha I don't think it's rare that people send off a lot of options. Yeah. For me, I don't. I don't like options. Yeah. I like. I try to keep things moving and simple and pretty fluid. So yeah. It's, so yeah, maybe that's a, a an area that you could unpack. You're you're sort of like it. Sort of points to maybe like a, a philosophy that you have, which is you know, I guess, could you say maybe less is more or like, you know, um, this idea of giving people way too many options isn't like, where do you come from I with think that? For me, it's, of... it, for me, it's the, the, the issue is like having too many options. Yeah. I don't, I would love to be on the less is more side of things, yeah. but I don't think I am. I am. Okay. Or at least not yet. I, uh, will definitely set up more things than I need. Uh -huh. And, and I like to try things out, but I like to do it in try and pick something mm -hmm. um, so that I don't have to make a decision with three different options or five different options yeah. later on. Um, just because I think it makes it easier to be creative that way. Yeah. If you continually put off making decisions, you're not being creative. Yeah. 
You're okay. just doing stuff. Yeah. Without really any intent. Okay. Um, so I don't think having a bunch of options later on really helps you. It just prevents you from making decisions and trying to create something and building a vibe to work off. Mm-hmm. Um, so like from a tracking standpoint, I don't want to set up six mics on a guitar cab. Right. Or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, I'll normally set up two. If things are getting really weird, three. Yeah. Um, and then pretty much I'll, those will both go to their own track and Pro Tools, but like that blend normally doesn't change much. Mm-hmm. Um, things, so things like that, I just, I just don't want to have a ton of options later yeah. on. And I don't, it's definitely a frustrating thing when people send me stuff to mix and it's just like, here's everything. Yeah. Here's the, in like, I, you know, if you get a band with like f- a bunch of people who sing in it and they're like, here's all of these vocals right. that we've been listening to one way, but create your whole new brand. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't, you guys yeah, know how you yeah, want that. Absolutely. Like, why like, didn't, yeah. like committing to failure to commit. Works. Yeah. People, people, yeah. It's a sign of like people <clears throat> and the, aren't going to commit. And the biggest yeah. thing for to me with that, I think is really in a tracking situation where I want to hear like what we're trying to build and create, like mm-hmm. what the vibe is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if things are going to be dark and dirty or really big and punchy or whatever it is, clean and, you know, pretty transparent like all of those things i want to have happening while i'm tracking Mm -hmm. so that way everybody's hearing that Mm -hmm. um and it's definitely i think pretty common thing these days where people just set up like the most basic not like basic in the sense of it's simple but just like this very neutral way of recording things Mm -hmm. which is great in certain situations but there's other times where it's nice to like actually get the sound you're going for yeah so you're saying when you're like neutral way of recording things you're saying um not really having necessarily any kind of like sonic character right like going about things without any sort of foresight to what is what it is you're actually trying and you're basically putting off decisions till later yeah yeah so that's cool so like okay i like this because you know that's actually um that lines up with my creative philosophy, so I, I like it. But, you know, so it's kind of like your creative philosophy. You like to have forward motion and be making decisions and be committing to, yeah. to things. Uh, yeah, and I like I like knowing, you know, if I'm starting a project, I want to talk to the band or the artist and, like, really figure, it out, figure out what it is we're shooting for. Yeah. So that when we start tracking drums, the drums sound the way we want them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to... I'm not opposed it by any means to using samples, but I don't want to have to rely on samples to create the vibe that we need. Yeah. I want the drums to sound like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like having, you know, I have drum sets here, but I don't like to use them most of the time. Mm-hmm. No, I don't like to use them, but the people are like, hey, can we use the kit here? I'm like, sure, but what are we going for? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so I like having options to start out with and then mm-hmm. like very, very quickly, I guess, narrowing those down to, where it is we want to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not really sure how we got here. Yeah, no, this but, is all uh, great. Yeah, no, the creative, creative, the creative philosophy. You know, um, that's a big part of what I like to really focus on. This is this is great that the conversation went here because what I really like to focus on with this podcast is not n- as much about the nuts and bolts of like recording technique or the technical yeah. whatever, but like the creative decisions behind that stuff because you know you can put a microphone on a on a guitar amp you know and you can discuss all kinds of different 
you know, where you're going to put the mic, what pre you're going to put it through, what what microphone you're going to choose, how far away, you know, start discussing all this sort of, you know, stuff that's sort of the technical yeah. textbook stuff of recording. But, you know, where does it start and end? What it starts, where it starts and ends is a creative statement and, and what's going on creatively and artistically, you know, and that's the kind of the space that I like to really kind of dive into on this podcast. So it's really cool yeah. that we're going. That, and that's like, I'm not super technical, I guess. Yeah. Or I don't think about, I, I love gear and I love knowing how things work. So like mm-hmm. I'll spend time reading about like every little piece of whatever not that yeah. technical because I don't yeah. know what anything sure. is. But like, I like knowing what's going on inside pieces of gear. But it doesn't like, it, that doesn't get me excited when it actually comes to recording. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's good to know those things. I think and and be well informed. Right. But that's not what. It's yeah, to cha- a degree, that's not gonna, so like that... change what I do when when I have a band in here and we're tracking. Yeah. Totally. It's like what's gonna create you know the sound and like the sonic landscape that we want. Yeah. What's what's gonna have the right vibe. Yeah. So when you're when you're when you're thinking about that stuff, um, and you're and you're approaching or you know a band is approaching you. You guys are first sort of getting um, acclimated to discovering like what are we trying to do? You know, like so what's what's your process for kind of as a record starts? Like or it's like you know somebody's like we we were interested in making a record with you, you know, where do you begin with them? Normally getting coffee mm-hmm. or a drink, just yeah. hanging out. Yeah. Um, whether or not it's here at the studio or going out somewhere, seeing a show, just kind of getting familiar with each other. Yeah. Knowing what it is they want to do. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it's way easier to, to kind of go forth with, with working on a record. Yeah. Is this somebody that I can stand being around for a week? Yeah. yeah. Or want to be around? Yeah. Uh, you know, see them every day for a week or sure. three months. Sure. However long it ends up being. Um, and then from there, like just past the whole personal side of things, which is huge, but then getting more into the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it totally varies depending on what my role in the project is. Right. If I'm just engineering, I'm not going to be necessarily all that involved in like those initial conversations because mm-hmm. I'm you know, if I have a friend who's producing the project or if I, whoever, if the producer hired me, then it's just like, cool. When are you guys showing up? Yeah. Um, so that's different. If I'm producing it, it's like a whole other thing. Right. If I'm just mixing it, I may never see them. Right. Yeah. You know, I just finished mixing. So so I just finished mixing a couple singles for a band that's based out of Denver, but one of them lives in Arkansas. Okay. I think the other three live in Denver. Okay. Um, so, it, you know, the start of a project varies right. pretty drastically. From, yeah. Just depending on what it is. Well, let's, let, how about this? Let's, <clears throat> let's kind of, let's go sort of like backwards from the way that you just listed things. There's, there's, you, you, you know, you do mix work, you do recording work, you do production work, yeah. you know, and sometimes probably all three of those things yeah. on a single project. But let's, let's kind of dissect down to, um, uh, mix work. Okay. So somebody, let's say somebody like, how about this band that you just mentioned? When they approached you, we'd like you to mix some stuff. How did that? What did that look like? You know, they e- send you email, and then what do you? Okay, let me. They're considering hiring me to work for them, do this project. Where did you start in terms of figuring out how I'm gonna make some 
killer mixes, you know? Yeah. A um, couple phone calls, which was a little tricky because they all live in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to get trying to get in touch with all of them to figure out what it is they want, mm-hmm. you know, what they're shooting for. And then having some references. I use a lot of reference tracks when I'm working. Okay. Um, which kind of goes back to, like, the whole my idea of, like, shooting for sounds and getting those yeah because like and which is so i like having references throughout the process just because i want to get as everything as close to as done if it's tracking or mixing but so figuring out what they want what they're shooting for what they like Mm -hmm. you know kind of just what they've been listening to and what and where where they think the song should go um and then from there it's just kind of starting yeah mixing some stuff yeah you know spending time on it sending it to them seeing what they like it whether or not they like it uh in this, like on one of the songs, I sent the acoustic guitar through an amp. Okay. Which was going a little too far. Okay. In this case, but you know, so there's like times where sometimes you take risks and you know, push the envelope. Yeah, a bit. and sometimes yeah. it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sure. But it's not hard to undo it. Absolutely. You still have the original. Yeah, I like that. That's and I they think, didn't they didn't fire me right after that. Yeah, so it was there like, you go. It, it was okay. I think people actually appreciate that yeah. kind of thing. You know, uh, you know, and some and a lot of times it's like yeah, I mean that I. I, I think it's totally <clears throat> worth, and I do air quotes with this with with the risk. Yeah, because like you said, it's not like permanent, and I think it's better to go kind of stick your neck out and take a chance for something that's like unique as opposed to just like trying to play it safe and and paint by numbers. As Seth Godin says, I don't know if you ever, um, but he's a marketing dude that I read. I haven't read any of his stuff in a while, but he said um, in that book purple cow he said safe is risky you know and his whole the whole thing about that book purple cow was about creating something that's so unique that it just it markets itself you know what yeah. i mean well, safe i think safe is also very boring yeah exactly and it's the other side that, that's like, what that's to his point yeah. safe is risky so it's going to be it's going to be boring therefore it's just going to blend in nobody's going to notice it it's nothing you yeah. know yeah. i would and for me especially when you're starting out it's I guess it's kind of a twofold sort of thing. It's like when you're starting out this relationship with a band or an artist and you do something that they may or may not like, They may, if they don't like it and they're like, well, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, then you have a problem. But as long as they're like, they seem like reasonable people who are like, yeah, this, whatever, we don't like it, but yeah. it doesn't have to be the end of right. this relationship. Right. Um, then it also gives you a lot of insight as to what they like and what, what they are going for. Mm-hmm. So like when you're first starting out mixing songs for for a band that you haven't worked with before you kind of have to feel it out and get an idea of what they are comfortable right. with and where they want their sound to go right so that's kind of one of those things like if you don't try stuff you're never going to figure it out right yeah um so after that i was like okay i know exactly what to do sure yeah and i think that there's a difference between sort of like you know when you're trying stuff taking risks and things that when you when it's sort of like coming from a place of kind of you don't know what you're doing versus, well, I'm making being experimental with certain artistic statements or whatever. Yeah. I think there's a difference between that. And I think that clients, people can tell the difference. You know, I don't think that that you know trying some artistic liberties here or there is going to be 
if it's if it ends up landing with a client in a way that they part ways with you, then they just did you a favor because there's a bigger. Right. I think there's a bigger issue there. Then you don't want to work with those yeah, people. Yeah, they're just handcuffing you and holding you back yeah, from and doing anything and, fun. Yes, and, 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 and creative and, and like what will probably exactly. be the. It's the, probably not going to go like anywhere the because they're limiting belief. Basically, that's an indication of like how deep their limiting beliefs are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say that uh, that would be the case with that. I think anybody who um, you know who's reasonable and you know because it's art. You're, they're artists themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're taking. They're they're trying stuff. You know. They're they're. So I think they would. It's it's sort of a language. Like I appreciate anybody. Who's gonna, you know, try stuff and like kind of take a risk and stuff? That's why, like, some of my favorite albums are are, are ones where artists are like, um, they kind of take a risk and they step out into a place that they've kind of established. Like, oh, you know, we've got it's we've got some records, right? We've got like three records, and then they come out with this fourth record, and it's like it's not what we have done before. Yeah. You know, this is one, uh, one, one particular that comes to mind. I reference the smashing pumpkins all the time because they're like my favorite band. I, anybody who listens to this show is like, Oh God, he's bringing up the <laughs> smashing pumpkins again. But I respect because, you know, they had, um, some rock records, you know, early nineties and then late nineties, you know, they did that record, melancholy, the infinite sadness. And then when they were done, made a statement, we're going to go away and make another record and it's not going to be what you expect. So they went away and then they came back and they made this other record that was uh, kind of a left turn. It, 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 to say it flopped, I mean, it definitely wasn't the commercial success that they had had before. Right. So it's kind of, I don't, I don't know that I want to want to say necessarily it was a flop, but you know, um, but I, I appreciate that because they took some risks, continue to like, make themselves uncomfortable and explore things as opposed to just, I, th- I respect that as an uh, artistically, you know, as opposed to just like keep issuing the same thing, you know, which a lot of bands are just kind of fall into that. And it's just this paint by numbers where this sort of like brand, we know we'll make money <clears throat> on this formula. And, and then it just gets to a point where it's like, you know, I'm kind of bored with this because I don't want to just keep buying the same record over and over again, just kind of somewhat reimagined or something. And I think some bands kind of fall yeah. into that. I you mean, know? I for me, I have a very short attention span mm-hmm. in everything. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't focus for a long time. I don't like yeah. hearing the same thing over and over, yeah. over again. And it's so like, you know, this is somewhat different because I don't write and I'm never working on my own music, but mm-hmm. I love having different projects coming in that are like very different from one another. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing like the Pray to Lights thing and then, which was much more of like the pop electronic Mm -hmm. alternative rock, whatever, whatever it would be. And then doing more Americana stuff or singer songwriter, just like trying to keep it all over the place. So that it's always new and exciting and and nothing's ever getting stagnant. How do you, how do you do that? Is that something that you create that you go and find mm-hmm. ways to keep yourself diverse in that way and find different projects or or have you found that it's just sort of like you know i've just been it just sort of like has happened that way i think both okay i i, I think it's i definitely try to to find different projects to work on that mm-hmm. are pretty diverse i'm not like only shooting for one thing mm-hmm. um and the other side of that is a lot of the stuff that comes in, whether it's just through word of mouth or somebody found them on my website or however, mm-hmm. 
it's normally not all in one genre. Mm-hmm. I find I get less. The only thing that really seems to like be accumulatively. I don't know how to say this. I don't get stuff that's in certain genres, I guess, mm-hmm. like for whatever reason. Um, but most of the stuff that comes in is pretty diverse. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure. But like, I don't like, I live in Nashville and have worked on two country songs in the last four years. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And it's not like, I'm like, I don't have a sign outside that says, Hey, I don't want to work on your country record. I just don't get those phone calls. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a testament to sort of like the what Nashville really is, you know. Um, I think that the country thing is, I think there's, you know, a few kind of, I don't know, there's a few of the guys, older guys or whatever, that have kind of had that on lockdown, sort of like the bigger thing for quite a while. You've got some of the bigger producers the Byron Gallimores and the Tony Browns and stuff like that. Uh, and they've got their team, you know, and so yeah. certain group of people get phone calls for that. But then there is sort of the other, maybe like indie or kind of other stuff that's going on, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of in a different realm. And there's, it's, there's a lot of diversity there and there's a lot of different, you know, types of musicians and, rock dudes americana dudes you know and then americana can be like it can be more sort of rock or it can be more sort of country yeah you know then there's like this edm stuff that's going on there's um there's all kind of, it's it's an interesting you know sort of under the surface nashville it's just it goes deep you know it's, yeah there's a lot of other and i think it's like can constantly growing yeah. So like every day there's something new and Oh, especially which, now in the, like the last awesome. 3 to 5 years it's exploding yeah. like like it's it's we're not even we don't even know. We don't even know yet. As much as it's expl- exploding now, I don't even think we know the half of it yet what it's what it's going to be. It's pretty crazy. But that's um probably a somewhat of a good segue to kind of like set up to play the next track. I don't know. If, yeah. Um and and you may have selected some stuff that maybe showcases kind of your diverse kind of Range of yeah, the next that you one's definitely on. more of like a, I guess, singer songwriter. Awesome. Americana. Cool. Well, we can uh, kind of get ready to duo. hit that, and uh, before you do, um, I'm gonna do take a quick second to do a, a few promotional items. So this is the Modern Recordist. Thank you guys for listening. We are 19 episodes in, and that's awesome. Uh, that's been a really fun project to be doing um, all summer, and um, I'm really excited about. Uh, keeping it up all through the end of the year and all next year it's been a lot of fun i'm your host john stinson i'm a producer and recording engineer in nashville got a lot of irons in the fire doing a lot of things such as this podcast um hit my website johnstinson.com j-o-n-s-t-i-n-s-o-n.com there's no h and john check out um recording drums 101 is a little resource that i put together to just give you some simple tips on recording drums. I try to keep things on my website, uh, a balance between, you know, recording geekery and creative inspiration. I like that balance. And so, um, there's a lot of different things for you to, to get into over there, whether you want to think about recording or you want to just your songwriter or artist or something that just you want to, document your songs or get creative inspiration 
So Recording Drums 101 is a quick little resource I put together you can um, check out about just kind of taking all the all the technical stuff out of recording drums so you can just stay creative with uh, some proven good sounding and simple drum setups. Uh, next, I want to give a shout out to JD Tyner, who hasn't been on the podcast in a little while, but uh, we're getting him back on soon. Uh, he is my co-host. He's the main man behind Glass Onion Recording, uh, the studio that we're most of the time we bring we record this podcast out of glass on your recording, but not today. Today we are at left plus right. This is a killer spot, which, you know, in the second half of this podcast, I want to talk to you more about, about the studio. Um, so, uh, go to Facebook and like glass onion recording. You can go to facebook.com slash glass, uh, glass onion, R E C go like the page and check out what JD's posting on that and go to jdtiner.com to check out, uh, everything that he's got going on. And then uh, there's Parrish, who handles engineering responsibilities and post work on this podcast and drops in on the mic from time to time. Uh, and that way I don't have to focus. Uh, I can put my attention on guests and hanging out with cool people like Graham. And um, yeah, so check out uh, uh, Parrish and everything he's got going on at jonathanpaulparish.com. Check out Villain Place, a record label production company video editing uh, company that he's a part of and we've had those guys on this podcast as well so that's that's it for uh, my little promotional items and uh, if you want to hit this next song let's let's jam over me The path of least resistance Never comes easy I could be all you
Killer. Another great track. So talk about that project for a sec. Yeah, so that's a duo called Wisher Keepers. Um, and they're they're awesome. They uh, came in and tracked drums and some acoustic guitars here. So the drums were the main thing that, that we were doing here for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, had Jared Neal play drums on it. Brought in an awesome kit and knocked out like cool. 10, 10 songs in a couple days. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's it was really killer. cool. And I think the rest of it got finished up over at Sound Emporium. Okay, nice. They get mixed over there. <clears throat> I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's a cool spot. Yeah. Yeah. And the record, the whole record's awesome. Sounds cool, man. Yeah. It's a cool, like, uh, kind of vibey, sort of Americana esque type of yeah feel to it. Their own little really flavor good songs. Americana. Yeah. Great singers. It's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's a duo, huh? Yeah. Cool. Guy and girl, or guy and girl, yeah, they're both from Australia. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do they and they currently live there? They live. Just... They live here. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. No, they both. And like, as, as in, in, in Nashville from, or in the, in Nashville? Okay, yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like a. So you did you, you tracked all that or you? Tracked... Uh, I tracked drums, some of the acoustics, and I don't know what else. I think that's pretty much it. Okay. I don't know what else would have made it on there. So and, and I do that a lot, where people will come in and just track. You know, kind of rhythm stuff here. Yeah, getting drums. Yeah, do a lot of drum tracking. Okay, cool. I uh, that's that's fun. Um, is that a pretty uh, pretty good room for drums? I guess, huh? Yeah, the room's great, and yeah. th- that was actually done before I redid the tracking room. Oh, okay, all right. So that was back when it was all low, like eight foot ceilings. Okay, pretty uneventful yeah, and so- boring and. Yeah, so like, what's the deal with that? You, this is a super. By the way, like this super vibey um, tracking space that I'm looking out into, with uh, some kind of like really cool vibey hanging uh, light bulbs. What are the, what do you call those? Edison, Edison, Edison light bulbs. bulbs yeah. yeah, Edison bulbs. <clears throat> so yeah, kind of like those. What's becoming <clears throat> sort of um, you can see in some like vibey bars. Um, I'm trying to think of. There's quite a few <clears throat> vibey bars in Nashville that have them, but I'm trying to think of like some other spots. But in any case. Those are cool vibing lights, and uh, I like the uh, sort of like you have that back brick wall there that seems like it would be a pretty cool sort of um, sound reflection surface for yeah. drums and stuff. It, yeah, it's the, the, the room, it's a cool space because it's not, you know, it's it's a long room. It's 30 feet long, mm-hmm. but it's only 12 feet wide. Okay. Um, really? That's only 12 feet? Yeah. Huh. Seems like it's, it's 12 by 30, and then the ceiling's you know, where they're raised, go up to 11. Yeah, okay. So it's got a pretty good amount of volume now. Um, and my goal my goal with it was to keep it as live as possible. Okay. Without it, you know, sounding like a small... Yeah. With, without it sounding like a space that was only 12 feet wide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to put in a lot of diffusion. Mm-hmm. That was really, like, kind of the main thing, was getting <clears throat> those sliding doors that have, like, the built-in diffusion into mm-hmm. them, and then all of the, the diffusers on the wall. Um, and... Luckily, it worked out really well. Cool. You know, it wasn't like I kind of pretty much just did the design myself and was like, awesome. hey, this is what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. Hopefully, it works, and, and it's been great. Tracking drums, and there's a lot of so fun now. So, you, 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 I'm, I'm guessing the studio has a website. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Left, just and you, left and, plus right and, and you got all the you got all the pictures of that on, yeah. the, on the website, because that, that's a really cool tracking space, really vibey. So, you, um, but you said, that was like, what, just Back this, in this the year of February, that you yeah. did all that? So, you were just kind of like, hmm, what can I do to kind of upgrade the studio? I want to upgrade the acoustics, get the room, like, tw- do some tweaks to the room, and you just thought up some stuff? And yeah, just... I one day drilled a hole in the ceiling, or cut a hole in the ceiling so I could stick my head up there to see what was above the drywall. Okay. Um, 
and it worked out really well. So this, the house was built in 55, mm-hmm. um, and the whole back half of that room, so 18 feet of it was added on. Okay. It wasn't part of the original okay. house. So fortunately there was, you know, the, it was just drywall on mm-hmm. the ceiling, uh, but it wasn't part of the main attic of the house okay. for the back 18 feet of that room. Yeah, because I like how so, it's like now the A-frame <clears throat> is exposed and stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. So it was just joist, drywall, joist, insulation, and then three feet of extra space mm-hmm. that wasn't being used for anything. There wasn't, mm-hmm. It wasn't storage. You couldn't get to it from the attic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cut that hole, stuck my head up there, and was like, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. knock Can't out work. the drywall. Yeah. Put, put a ceiling up right up on the roof line and get a bunch of extra space yeah. out of it. Um, and it's cool if you, it's covered now, but during like demolition, you could see the original roof. It's still there. Oh yeah. So like all the shingles from where it was added on is like, okay. Yeah. Um, you, you, you could see the shingles before it was just like, they just built onto it. They didn't knock it out or anything. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So it was, it was really just kind of blind luck that it worked out well. Yeah to be able to build it out and raise the ceilings without having to do any major construction. Yeah. yeah that's killer, man. Um, so yeah, so you do a lot of drum tracking in there. Yeah. Cool. And I think for, for whatever, I mean, that's just kind of always happened where I've, sure. I've done a lot of drum tracking. I think people see the drums and I have a background in drumming. So it's, yeah. And I have the space to does do that it. Does help I, you, you know, with, how, how, does, does <clears throat> drumming help? I'm not a drummer. Um, I kind of wish that I was. I pretend maybe I play one on the other. I, like I, I wrote that, like I mentioned earlier, that resource I wrote, and people go, people think that I play drums. I'm like, no, I don't play drums. Yeah. I record drums, you know? Right. That's about recording drums. But do, do you find that as a drummer, does that help you in terms of like recording drums and how you think about it? Um, I don't know that it helps me more than anybody else who's recorded drums a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe... You know, I I was able to come into recording drums with a good idea of how to tune <clears> drums <throat> and how to get drums to sound a certain way. Yeah, which you know, which is a huge part of yeah, tracking drums. On the tuning, drums, so on the tuning like front, getting yeah, things yeah. to sound the way you want. Right. And I had nice drums, so if yeah. somebody showed up with a kit that wasn't really all that great, I could be like, "Hey, let's swap this out. Mm-hmm. Let's try this bass drum or one of the six snares that are yeah. stacked up over there." Yeah. So, how I many think, kits do you have? Just two now. Okay, I used to have. Four. Okay. Some down downsizing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think from that side of things, being a drummer was definitely helpful. Yeah. Just because I had a good idea of how to get drums to sound good mm-hmm. before your before the miking right. side of things, which is the most important part. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I don't I don't think it really changes a whole lot beyond if if you spend a lot of time recording drums. Whether or not you used to play the drums, I don't think it changes a lot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It yeah. was it was definitely helpful in the beginning. Yeah, but I don't think it's like you don't have to be a drummer to record drums sure. well. Sure, sure, exactly. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly my point. Well, it's not my point in the, <clears throat> in the resource I wrote, but but you know it, it is kind of the point. It's sort of one yeah. of the points. You know, it's like it's not about playing drums. You know, just understanding a few things yeah i mean i think one of the the good thing the the nice the other nice thing about being a drummer and still this one probably holds true more so than like being able to tune drums well is being able to 
talk drummers through playing yeah. differently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's the other. And I have yes. a ba- I like I used to teach. Okay. So I taught for like seven years. Yeah. And so I have a pretty pretty good understanding of how to like some drummers hit things too hard or yeah. always freak out when they get to fills. Yeah. Um, and that's the same thing with communicating with any musician, really. It doesn't matter so much what the instrument is, but in drumming, especially with like teaching them how to balance themselves. Yeah. That because side, people don't... That side of it's important and being able yeah. to show them like this is what's changing. Right. And people, it's, it is it is interesting with drums because it's a very, like from a, from a, um, when you're just like watching a drummer, when you're seeing somebody perform and like maybe you're not, you know, somebody who's not a drummer, right? Yeah. It's a very visceral, kind of almost like very, I don't know, barbaric is the word that comes to mind, but like, you know what I mean? You don't think about the fact that drums are actually very nuanced and like they yeah. react in so many different nuanced, different complex ways based on how you strike a drum, where you strike right. a drum. And well, like th- you know. I mean, think about like with a bass drum, like the harder you hit a bass drum, the less sustain it has. Mm-hmm. If you want a long note on your kick, hit it really soft. Mm-hmm. That's not like the most obvious thing to think mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of little subtle things that go, into getting drums to sound a certain way. Mm-hmm. How hard you're hitting them, where you're hitting them, on the right. head, you know, that whole thing. And I've done sessions where I sat right next to the drummer. Oh, yeah? Where, like, it wasn't necessarily somebody who should be playing drums on the record, but they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and, like, sat right next to them. And just, and just had, coached them the whole time. <clears throat> yeah. 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 So that's something, like, it's cool having that background because I can do things like yeah. that. Yeah, so I would say that really the answer to my question is yes because yeah. like the most important parts, when you're talking about <clears throat> tuning a kit and kind of setting it up to get a good sound out of it, and then even I would say <clears throat> probably even more important than that is is the, the capability of the drummer, the, the skill set, the accomplishment of the drummer, you know, because, yeah. because of the way that – because you can have a, a – a, an incredible, an impeccable kit, you know, yeah. and then you can have two different drummers sit down at it and then it'll come out differently, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, one might sound awesome yeah. as it should if you have this awesome kit out there yeah. and the other one might sound like complete garbage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, I think that holds true for any instrument. Yeah, I've, totally. You know, you can put a $5,000 guitar in somebody's hands who doesn't really play the guitar right. and it's going to sound terrible. Right. Do you, uh, for some reason... I don't know why these two examples came to mind because, but like you're, I was gonna, I was gonna point out Slash and Eddie Van Halen. I don't know why because those guys are like so like, <laughs> what decade? What decade is this? <laughs> it's like four, three decades ago. <laughs> you mean what? We're not in 1985 right now. No. Oh, it's 2015. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't alive in 85. <laughs> Were you not? No. I was eating ice cream sandwiches <laughs> and playing Super Mario on on the eight bit version of nintendo at the time but yeah yeah. i I came along a few years later (laughs) nice so recording drums what this this might be a um what's your approach how about that what's your approach i'm sure i'm sure that this is a this can be a very long you know not direct answer but you know what's kind of your approach to drum tracking what's your philosophy there get the drum sounding right. Yeah. I mean, that that's, you know, the miking side of things is plays a huge role. Mm-hmm. How, where you're putting things, how you treat them, all that stuff. But 
really getting the drums sounding the way you want them. Mm-hmm. I and I I try to do that with everything where it's like I would so much rather take the time up front to get things sounding the way I want them mm-hmm. than like whether whether or not it's a guitar amp or trying out different amps or different snares. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm not talking about spending like a week on it, I'm not auditioning yeah. kick drums for sure. a week, but sure. but spending like no and part of that's just knowing what you you need. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so getting the drum sounding right and then from right, like the rest right of, in context of, of like how we, how prop. I want them to sound it has to be like so in right the, so getting right by right I mean like getting them to sound the way I want on the record yeah having that them, context having them yeah. as sounding at least somewhat like that in the room yeah okay to where you're not then like just totally recreating this thing that didn't exist before yeah there's certain times where you can't you can only make a floor tom in the room sound so big yeah. You know, right. so like for new stuff when you're doing yeah. indie whatever and they want floor toms all over the place that are just massive, maybe you can't do that in the room. Yeah. But at least getting you can, it you close. Can, you can get, you set yourself up to win for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. You can set so. it up to where you're not fighting something. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then after that, I don't feel like I do anything too crazy or unique. Um, do you have a particular, do you have a particular miking setup that you like? I, I do... Normally, I'm doing space pair overheads. Okay. Um, it's almost always either a space pair set of overheads or mono overhead. Okay. And, and what? How? And what sometimes would you... I'll like if if it's you know if we're doing a bunch of songs in the same day, and I don't and we don't really have time to like have unique setups for each one. I'll just leave both of them up and pick depending oh, okay. on the song. Okay. Um. And so like norm, uh, more a lot of the times the space pair is the four fourteens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have my four fourteens are older, so they're like the ULS model. Ah, you just cheated. I did. I did <laughs> cheat. I just looked. Um, but so the old ones they have the, the transformer balanced outputs in them, uh-huh. and they're way darker than like what most people would probably expect a four fourteen to sound like, mm-hmm. which I love. Especially so, on overheads. So, although we're not <clears throat> pl- playing drums right now, you are hearing our voices through these very mics that he's talking yeah. about. So, um. If I want something a little more modern and ag- not in, not even modern, but like more aggressive, uh, I have a pair of Mojave Audio MA two hundred ones. Okay, those things are great. Um, I have a Royer that I use a lot for the mono mono thing, cool. or the Mic Tech CV four. It just depends. Yeah. Uh, what, what's, both, what? And both of those mics are killer, like right in front of the kit or above the bass drum. Okay. Um, that Royer, like if you put it just like horizontally and sitting on top of the kick you can pretty much just use that yeah and so like sort awesome. of like not not out in front of it but sort not of out in front of it like directly like over pointed sort of, and, and like where it's the pickup like pattern half, is not it's like per, uh what would you call it perpendicular the, it'd the, be yeah it the so the the mic is essentially the mic's picking like pointed directly at the snare okay or yeah. close to the snare yeah so the the bass drum would be I guess in the null yeah. of the mic. Uh-huh. If that cool. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the Roar is pretty amazing That's cool. if you put it right there. So what dictates your um, decision when you're thinking about, should I do mono overhead, should I do spaced pair, what, what kind of... That's, I mean, primarily just the song. Okay. Um, what else is going to be happening mm-hmm. in the song? And then the, the, the feel of it. Mm-hmm. I don't... I don't know that's something I can necessarily be like, this is like when I do right. one or the other. 
Um, you just kind of feel out. I think it's how just kind of like kind a, of unfolding. And yeah, what the vibe and a lot is. of times it's just kind of like a gut instinct of yeah. like I think this is going to work well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how most like decisions are made. Yeah, you, yeah. Especially when it's not like, and then the miking thing is more of like what's the overall sound we're going for. Because mm-hmm. if I'm going to do a mono overhead, it's it changes, but like the Royer's great, but it has a very different sound than the mic tech. Mm-hmm. So the Royer's instantly going to be darker mm-hmm. and a little more of that like older vibe kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. It's really just like a song kind of thing. Like what's the song? Like what else is going to be happening? Mm-hmm. Do I want the drums to take up a lot of space in the stereo image or do I want other things to occupy yeah. that space? Yeah. So when you, when you mix, when you mix drums, do you find yourself kind of, I'll say this, I got into this thing. Uh, I'll ask the question this way. Like I got onto this thing a number of years ago that resonated with me in terms of the stereo imaging of a drum kit. Yeah. And I kind of got on this line of thinking that like it would not space the drum kit out throughout the entire stereo image. It's sort of, although it's spread out, it's not, it doesn't take up the entire stereo image. And I kind of got onto this thing about that because I'm like, you know, I don't know. For some reason or another, it just sounded it, it vibed. I like. I started doing that, and it was like I, I vibed on that. And uh, the uh, the screen doesn't want to come on, huh? Um, but I was thinking about um, that. Just seemed more realistic to me in terms of the way that drums sounded. You know, yeah. when I started thinking about it, I don't know. But I don't. I don't pan anything. Okay. Drum wise, hard left. Okay. And right. Okay. So you kind of do the same thing. It doesn't sound do. like a drum set. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There, I, I, I wouldn't say that, like it doesn't bug me when I hear it mm-hmm. in certain songs mm-hmm. necessarily. Um. And for certain, there are genres of music where it's like it, you need the separation. If there's a lot of like on heavier stuff, mm-hmm. maybe you need more. Like something like the hi hat to be way out left. Yeah, but it drummers can't reach that far. Yeah, see that's know? the same. Like, like yeah, I just and yeah. and I kind of look at it like if you listen to a drum set, unless you're playing it, you're pretty much just hearing it in mono. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of having it just unless, completely spread sure. out. I unless you're do, unless it's like some kind of like artistic statement to be kind of yeah. like you know, um, weird and unnatural or something like this. But yeah, like, you know, if you were to create a record that's supposed to capture authentically what happened in the room or something, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. That's exactly why. It's just like I kind of just yeah. – I don't – I usually even just do the mono overhead thing for yeah, that Yeah, I think it's just, it's just more realistic yeah. sounding yeah. To, and natural to have – a smaller stereo spread of your drums. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, to me, having stuff super wide on, on a drum kit just is bizarre. Yeah. The toms shouldn't, you shouldn't have your rack tom going from like yeah. all the way in your left ear to all the way in your right ear for the floor tom. <laughs> what, did the guy run across the room <laughs> and play that? Yeah. <laughs> like he's sitting in the seat. Yeah. 
Like yeah, one, totally. he, he doesn't move, and really the rack, the rack tom's like normally actually probably the most centered thing in your kit, mm-hmm. which is weird. Yeah, because it gets pan way left. But I like know. if you lo- if all you did was that, listen to stereo overheads, it's gonna be like dead center. Yeah, yeah, that always bothered me when people <clears throat> would pan. It never made sense to me, even when I was like. When I was first coming up, when I was first learning recording, when I was like hanging out with people and watching at this, you know, studios or whatever, and that always perplexed me. And when I listened back to records, I was just like, the thing about the rack toms panning like that. Yeah. I just, I, it, it confused me when I was learning, you know, at the time. Cause, this you know, would have been a good time to bring up the 80s. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. Go, let's go back to, let's go back to the 80s. Let's get, uh, let's get Slash and Eddie Van Halen yeah. in here. Let's get, um, I don't know Neil Pert. Who who would be? Let's get uh, no. You know who we need in here is Phil Collins. Yeah, let's call him right now. Get him on the podcast. Get his input on this. <laughs> but yeah, um, I just th- I was always confused by that. You know, just yeah. this idea of because when you're learning, you know, when you're learning and you just you don't know kind of like how you're you're having your ideas be shaped and stuff, and you're learning like why would you do this? How do you do this? You have like so many questions. You don't know how to do anything. And that was one of the big ones that always bugged me. And, and, and finally I got to a point, you know, when I, when I started to kind of come into my own and really think for myself, it was just like, yeah, you know what? Forget that. That's not, that's not how, that's not how I want to do it. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I want to pan my toms like that. I think you know? the, the other, yeah, that, and then like the other side is it means you have to be, when you don't pan stuff super wide, you definitely have to be more conscious of like mm-hmm. your face. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, like you're the relationship between your mics and all that. That's I so so often get stuff sent to me to mix when it's just like a phase did, mess. Did you listen to this? Yeah. Um, and it kills me. Like mm-hmm. I don't one. I don't get it. Like your snare sounds awful. Yeah. And all you had to do was push one button. Yeah. Or move your mic like an inch. Yeah. Um. And it gets ignored all the time. Right. It's like, you're, it's not worth it to move that fast. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other. People just throw up mics and then, you know, a lot of the kind of like, yeah, they throw up mics. They don't, a lot of times, a lot of people don't think from the standpoint of if you, like, I like the idea of like always be mixing. So yeah. when, even when you put the first microphone up or even from the very beginning of the project, like I'm thinking about the mix, you know, and um, setting yourself up to win. Like if you want to have an, a, a, a great, incredible mix, it's mind blowing mix, you know, then you've got to make these decisions. You've got to be thinking about that and being intentional in the recording process and and because it's almost like, you know, 90, 95% of the mixing is done because the recording process was impeccable and then you just set yourself up to win. You're not, mixing is really just kind of, it, it's it's better-er-ing, is that like, to make a weird word, up. Improving. It's improving, thank you. It's improving. Um, you went to college, didn't you? I did, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's improving something that's already fantastic you know it's just it's just turning up the thing about it that's already really yeah highlighting highlighting yes highlighting the things that people will connect to yeah there you go and like letting that come very succinct way to put it i love that mixing is say it again highlighting the things that people connect to yeah that's great i love that i mean that's you know 
bringing the like the important things and, and the exciting things about a song to the forefront. Mm-hmm. That's killer. I, I'm going to steal that. And I don't want to like going back to what you were saying, like setting yourself to win. I don't. I don't want to spend all day working on a mix when I'm just fighting yeah. things. Like trying, you know, happens a lot with bass. Bass mm-hmm. seems like it's such an easy thing. Normally, it's just a di. Mm-hmm. And it's, but if you use the wrong bass or the wrong pickups on your bass or are playing a part with a pick and depending on where you're playing on the bass and you mm-hmm. really need like more of a ve- like very kind of flat wound or more of a, like an upright bass sound mm-hmm. and you've just got this like you know muddy yeah. and yeah. way too much low end it's hard to get rid of that yeah. and not even get rid of it but then transform that into something that sounds smoother totally. and more it's yeah, like yeah you're not going to turn a p bass into, you know, a 200-year-old upright bass. You know, no. It's just not going to happen. You know that, I mean? mean? Yeah, that's like... But even just like a, more of like a hollow... like, But it's not that far-fetched to get a P bass to sound somewhat like a hollow body bass with flat wounds mm-hmm. if you go about it the right way. Mm-hmm. It's not going to... It's never going to get there. Yeah. But you can at least... If that's really the sound you needed, you could at least set it up to where like it's possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people don't think about, like, think it's kind of the thing of, like, always be mixing. People don't think that far ahead. Right. And then they send you this bass track that, and a lot of it's the part, just the arrangement. Right. But, uh, you you know, you get this thing where it just, like, doesn't make any sense. Right. And then you spend, that's what you spend your time mixing on. Not the not the fun parts of it. You're yeah, just fixing, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like, you know, if, if somebody was to send you, like, a, I don't know, this is a silly analogy but if somebody was to send you like a blue piece of paper or like a blue graphic and they were like make make we want that red you know it's like well then why didn't you make a red you know like (laughs) now i've got to change it to red and then and before i can even start like making it like you know bringing out the things that people connect to i've got to change the color you know so Yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting people don't think about that they get going really quickly they don't people that i think that's the one like the one principle that i really want to i i like to drill into people's heads is that you know we're going to set ourselves up to win the mix like the mix will take care of itself because we're going to do everything impeccable and leading up to the mix you know and not this idea of like let's just do this and that and this and that not really think about it not put intention into it not ask our question the question right now what are we looking to accomplish and then just like handing it off to some mix guy because he's a killer mix dude or whatever well you know why he's a killer mix dude because he works with great people that get it like he wouldn't be you're you know there's a lot of dudes who are like winning Grammys for these killer mixes and stuff. But like for all those projects that they do, you don't hear about the ones that, 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 you know, they did the best they could to save the day because the people were just like, Oh, so-and-so will fix our record, you know? Yeah. And and I think the other side of that is people don't realize how important the role of the arrangement is when it comes to a mix. Mm -hmm. Like that's, You know, not just yes. recording things well and playing them well, but having a well arranged song. Yes, yes. That like that in itself makes mixing absolutely easy. Yeah, not easy, but like it makes it work to where you're not sitting there trying to create this energy and these different pushes yes. and pulls and like all these peaks and valleys or like high and low points because it's 
there in the song. And and it's like, not it's real. It's not yes. like this artificial thing that you're right. creating. Yeah. And parts that dance <clears throat> and complement one each other, one complement each other and kind of dance around yeah. with each other and you know fill in certain <clears throat> things. you know if you're, you you can't have like this standout vocal hook going on with this like stand also <clears throat> with this this really unique keyboard thing and also this guitar doing this unique thing or whatever you know yeah um it it's like those things can have their moments but like you know have they need to have their moments you yeah know? they, they can't all have their moment at the same time yeah yeah totally so it is it is a part of so much of a good mix is you know the performance of it and and the arrangement of it that's yeah. that that's a great point yeah that's fantastic yeah i think arrangement is huge and it like it's something people don't think about all that often mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just so they go in and like this is the part that i always play mm-hmm. so I want to uh, circle back around. I said at the very, sort of like at the beginning of the episode, I said, let's put a pin in this analog digital discussion. But I'd love to circle back around and hear your philosophy on that and where you land on on that whole thing. I, uh, well, I mix in the box. Okay. At least, yeah. I I mix in the box. I don't really see it changing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it's like I, I love the ability to bounce back and forth from different songs, different projects without having to worry about where recalling things and how stuff was routed. So the flexibility in it for me is, is awesome. Cause I do a bunch of different things at once. Normally, mm-hmm. I'm normally there are, there are times where it's just one project for like a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but that doesn't happen all the time mm-hmm. and being able to just go back and forth is awesome. And I, at this point don't really have anything out of the box here that I feel like I would be benefiting from drastically. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't have this feeling or, or need to to go out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um I got the UAD stuff almost a year ago now, which was awesome and mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. It's 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 great, but it also an takes addiction. money from you yeah. constantly. <laughs> They're yeah. just like I'm just like here's They're my wallet. Evil genius. Here you go. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I don't know. I think there are times where if I was in a different studio or something, maybe I'd be doing more mixing out of the box. Mm-hmm. But I feel like what I what I can do in the box isn't having any. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm negatively impacted by not going mm-hmm. out of the box. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's if if that's the case, there's no reason yeah. to go out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like it's so much of a workflow thing. If I could focus more and longer on one thing at a time, yeah. I probably w- might feel differently about it, but mm-hmm. I can't. So I know that like I'm going to bounce back and forth okay. between things. Um, so being in the box is really helpful with that. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's just kind of a workflow thing of like, mm-hmm. I know in an hour or two, I'm going to go to a different song. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing that and having to recall stuff constantly, that's not really yeah. feasible. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's it's. I guess that's a lot. A huge part of it for me is workflow, and the other side of it is that I don't feel like stuff in the box is really at a big disadvantage anymore, mm-hmm. or at any disadvantage. Mm-hmm. There's differences in in different things, and every 1176 emulation that I have sounds different. And yeah. Some drive when I I feel like when they're used on the more subtle side of things, they're all pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And when you start pushing them harder 
that's when you start to notice the, the differences yeah. really. But in, in some react more like the actual hardware boxes than others, right. but it doesn't make one better necessarily. Yeah. To sure. Me. Yeah. No, and, it's cool. And I also, you know, being, I guess on the younger side of things, like didn't come up tracking or mixing with a bunch of gear. Yeah. So in the box for me is pretty natural. Sure. So I think that's probably the other side of it. It's just, it's like, that's kind of what I'm used to. Yeah. And I, th- I think for me, the most beneficial thing you can do is work with what you know. Mm-hmm. You know, one piece of gear isn't going to make or break that. Sure. Absolutely. That, that tracking. Totally. Pro- your, the tracking experience or the mix, it's like, it, you know, it's always what you do with it. And if you can work more efficiently and effectively yep. in one situation than another, that, that's the situation you should work in. It's like, yeah, because then you, you free up brain space to be creative. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could just, to me, it's like I could care less about which DAW somebody's using or sure. whatever. There's definitely pieces of gear I like more than others, and those are the ones I choose to work with. Yeah. And those are that's kind of how I develop my workflow for whatever it is. Totally. I'm not opposed to changing it. I mix in front of a console, and I don't use it. Yeah. Right. Um, just because I don't feel like I get a whole lot out, like I don't, I don't feel like going through it changes the end result for me. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it better. Right. Yeah. And the, um, you know, and the 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 uh, um, technology today with, like you mentioned, UAD, and there's some others. You know, plugins have just gotten killer, man. Like they, yeah. they're 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 so on point with like how they emulate in the analog world and stuff like that. But yeah, that's killer, man. Um, we are getting to be about out of time. When it's it's been awesome, man, and um, it's flown by. It's been a really good hang, and I really do appreciate um you hosting the modern recordist over here at your wonderful mm-hmm. studio. That's really cool, vibey spot. Um, I want to ask a few questions. Hopefully we can, this can be a little bit more rapid fire. We'll see what happens. But um, one of the things that comes to mind is I would like to ask you about um, a, a challenge that you've overcome to get where you are now. What's, um, what's, it could be a challenge that you've overcome recently or a challenge just part of like your story of like where you've, where you've gotten, how you've gotten here. Cause it's, you know, this isn't an easy gig to do, yeah, right? You know, I, I think. By far the biggest challenge for me, and it's not something that I would necessarily have overcome, I think it's kind of a constant thing, or there's times where it will be more present than others, is just staying busy, or like having work to do. I'm mm-hmm. a huge workaholic, so if I'm not okay. working, I go crazy. Okay. Um, I'm just like mad and angry yeah. all the time. Yeah. So for me, that's the biggest thing is like when projects aren't flowing, how do you stay motivated? Mm-hmm. Or not even like motivated, but also sane and happy and like mm-hmm. a good human being to be around. Um, that, that for me, I think is like a constant battle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do I do when I don't have a new record to work on? So how do you, um, how do you push through that? How do you shift through that challenge? I think just coming up with new ways to get projects, Mm -hmm. trying to come up with new, whatever, whether it's a new kind of marketing plan or Mm -hmm. going out and meeting people, Mm -hmm. um, that that's I mean that's pretty much it. Just like yeah. how to generate or get a new project. Yeah. Or maybe just reaching out to somebody and being like, Hey, let's work on something today. Yeah. So that you don't have all this time off. Of right. Like, yeah. At least for me where I'm just like, Yeah, what do I do? Right. Um 
So that's that's definitely the biggest cool. challenge for me. Right on. And um, and then last question I'll ask you: um, What's your what's your why? What motivates you? How wh- why are you why do you sit in this chair and why did you choose to to get into this creative work and do what you do? Um, why? I I guess I I, I think just because I love it. Like that's there's not there's not so, I mean other than like. I love it. It's what I've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my situation's a little unique because I started teaching drum lessons when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, in college, I put together a tiny little studio and started working on EPs and, and, and songs for people and then have continuously built that up and kept teaching when I was in, in college. So for me, music's really the only job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I was touring, recording, teaching. Killer. All those kind of things. I don't know how to apply for a job. I'm sure I'd be <laughs> terrible if I had a boss. <laughs> so um, music chose you. This life, this creative life, yeah, I mean, chose you. Maybe. Yeah. I think. I think for me it was like that was what I wanted to yeah. do. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like oh I had like that. I well was wasn't like hey you somebody wasn't just like hey you should do this. I loved sure. it. Like I definitely was like that's what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. I got to like halfway through high school. And everything else at that point was like, whatever. Yeah. I don't care. Uh, I'm going to stay up all night in the garage yeah. Yeah. trying yeah. things and there not knowing what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> awesome. So the why is just, I, I love music and I love being on the, like the creative side of that, of like yeah. being there when something's really kind of coming to life and being made. Yeah. Uh, I toured for a year and a half and by the end of it, I was, it was driving me nuts because you spend all day traveling. Yeah. Which is awesome. But you're not working. You're not really pushing yourself to yeah. do anything other than for an hour a day. Yeah. And I like I so badly missed being in the studio yeah. and being able to just dive into a song yeah. or a project yeah. and work for 14, 16 hours a day. Yeah. Um, and really being able to try new things. So I guess that's kind of the yeah. wise. Like I just have this desire need to be kind of trying new things and creating. Yeah. And, and really, I like for me, I... I'm always working with an artist or a band. Right. So it's like, I do kind of look at it more like a, I guess like supporting role. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I'm not, I'm never creating my own record. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that, that, that need to kind of cool, man. sit there and make yeah. things. Awesome. Well, cool. Um, let's wrap this podcast up. Thank you again for, for, for this, this afternoon. And, uh, it's been great, man. This studio is fantastic. It's been fun hanging with you. Um, <clears throat> Barley is, uh, is killing us. She, he wants to, he wants to get out so bad and he's like, come on in the show. So we're going to, we're going to, yeah. we're going to end the show for him. Let him get out there and run around the front yard, whatever he, need, he needs to do. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, left plus right studio.com. Cool. Uh, there's a Facebook page for the studio. Cool. It'll show up if you search left plus right studio. Cool. Cool. Uh, Instagram. That's pretty much it. Cool. I have my own Facebook. Awesome. I'm the only Graham Wax. Nice. So it's really <laughs> easy to find. Cool. Um, and you, and you spell that W A K S. Yeah. Cool. Um, we'll get all that linked up in the show notes cool. and all that. So cool. That's it for uh, episode 19 of the Modern Recorders. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being subscribed. Get subscribed if you're not subscribed and stay subscribed. Uh, drop in, spend literally five seconds to give us a rating and uh, and review. Good ratings and reviews 
help us stay relevant, stay on the charts, spread the word about the show so that people out there can hear this and get inspired. Um, and if you were inspired by this episode, share it with a, a friend or two or three. And uh, that's it. Uh, there will be more for you next time. Uh, and in the meantime, go out and live your extraordinary life of an artistic visionary and create something impactful in the world. Do you want to cue up the last song and we'll, we'll hit it? <laughs>